Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored with me, Jeremy Kyle... Stabbed for his words as Salman Rushdie fights for his life, we'll discuss one of the fights of his life, the defence of free speech. Our proposal, which is to prevent those energy prices going, uh, increases going forward. Starmer Chameleon emerges from his summer in camouflage, but is Labour's energy crisis plan off colour? Valdado. Plus, Peter Shilton, one of the greatest goalies of all time, on keeping the dark secrets of his gambling addiction. Good evening, my friends, and a big, big welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. I'm Jeremy Carl. Now, stand by, inform the authorities, call off the search parties, take down your posters and relax, my friends, because Sir Keir Starmer has been located safe and well. There he is, finally back from the beach with a massive plan to tackle your cost-of-living crisis. He says he wants to freeze your fuel bills. No word yet on whether he'll stop blowing hot air to facilitate that, but at least he's back on dry land which is more than can be said of our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who is again on holiday. Not another one? Yes, dear, another one. The PM's on his second holiday in a fortnight. Last week in Slovenia, this time in Greece. But do not fret, because officials insist he's working from home. We wrote this. Yeah, right. Next week, he's working from Rome. But speaking of dry land, the arid, arid land of Great Britain. Some great news, my friends. It's raining! Give me that umbrella. Watch this. We prayed for a downpour and the heavens... Oh, my, it's windy as well. The heavens have opened. Weeks of baking sunshine have left the UK as dry as Prince Andrew's armpits. But now, three days of thunderstorms are set to drench the nation. It's raining cats and dogs out there. I stepped on a poodle in the way in. Goodness me. From sizzle to drizzle, from pain to rain, we're building back water. Drip, drip, hooray. Or not. Big news. Sadly, the Met Office says otherwise. 
demonstrating. Don't be too late. Demonstrating Britain's limitless capacity for innovation in complaining about the weather, experts tonight say it's the wrong kind of rain. Intensive downpours apparently won't actually solve the drought crisis. This yellow arid land is so parched it can't absorb the water, meaning we're going to be flooded instead. So we're still doomed and we're going to be just as miserable. But it does, of course, beg the big question. What on earth is the right kind of rain? Because I must like you think that all rain's supposed to be wet. Here's a really interesting man from the mess office to rain on our parades. Change is on the way next week with some heavy rain in places, but at first it'll come in the form of thundery downpours. Intense thunderstorms are the wrong way to end a drought. The rain will be hit and miss. Some places will stay dry. And where the heaviest rain does occur, there's a risk the rain will run straight off the parched ground and cause flash flooding. What happy, happy news. Right, first tonight, does free speech ever go too far? Legendary British author Salman Rushdie was stabbed on stage in New York State last week. He's now off a ventilator but remains in a critical condition. The 75-year-old has faced years of death threats over his novel The Satanic Verses, which some Muslims see as blasphemous. Comedian Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage in May and Netflix has faced repeated calls to drop him over his jokes on gender and trans issues. Rarely, though, are attacks on free speech so literal and so dangerous. But performers face the ever-present threat of cancel culture. On the same day that Rushdie was attacked, comedian uh, Jerry Sadowitz had his Edinburgh show axed over complaints of racism and misogyny. And, of course, Britain's own Jimmy Carr faced a massive backlash for a joke about gypsies and the Holocaust, a joke he said could have ended his career. So for us tonight, there's one big question. Is there such a thing as too much free speech or should we always defend the right to offend? Now, joining me from New York, I'm joined by conservative author Douglas Murray. Uh, to quote Piers Morgan, Douglas, has the world gone nuts, my friend? I would ask a different question, if I may. You, you said at the beginning, is there any limit to free speech? And I'm rather disturbed we're still discussing this. It's three decades more since the Satanic Verses affair. It was in 1989 that the Ayatollah Khomeini did the unpardonable, unforgivable thing of calling for the murder of a British novelist for the crime of writing a novel. And we had these debates back then. Uh, where are the limits to free speech? Has Mr. Rushdie committed a crime as well as the Ayatollah and a lot more guff like that? I'm rather disturbed that in all of the decades since, with all of the people who've been killed for asserting their right to free speech, or asserting their right to say what they think, and, to, and to, for the rest of us to hear it, but we're still at this elementary playground level of discussion. I'm sorry to say that, but this is a long, long answered question. Our societies have perfectly good uh, incitement laws in place. The rest of it, I'm sorry, no, we're not adapting our own uh, speech codes. We're not going to make ourselves more sensitive to people who famously burn books that they can't even read. I mean, the Ayatollah Khomeini had never even read the Satanic Verses when he asked for Muslims around the world to kill Salman Rushdie. It's an unpardonable thing that has happened. It is extraordinary to me that we're still having this discussion. Mm -hmm. We had the same discussion seven years ago when the cartoonists of Charlie Hebdo were being murdered. We had the same discussion in all of these decades, and it's Muslims and non-Muslims who've been attacked, and we in the West still have this pathetic discussion about, oh, what are the limits of free speech? Really, we've got to get 
better than that. Um, Douglas, I agree with you, but it's not just Islam, is it? We'll talk to uh, Abdul Al-Andalusi in a minute. But it's also comedy. We talked about Dave Chappelle, we talked about Jimmy Carr. There doesn't seem to be a week that goes by without some comedian making a joke that a certain group, a certain uh, number of people find distasteful. I, I obviously well, that come, might be true. Well, well, I obviously come from a different planet, cos here's what I would say. We have an on-off button. If you want to go and see a comedian, you buy a ticket. If you want to watch a television mm. programme, you pick that channel. If you want to read Salman Rushdie's book, you surely have a right. Are we not getting to the point where free speech is under attack in our world, well, in our course, nation? It's been, but it's, well, it's been under attack for a long time. I don't particularly care for a lot of the sort of um, belly aching and complaining on rather frivolous online stuff that I hear from a lot of authors and others. I think that people have to toughen up a bit on some of that. Uh, but this, the Rushdie affair has always been in a different class and there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why so many people today are willing to make death threats against authors and others for all sorts of things, including comedians. And it's because they saw that it works. Yeah. It works. When the Ayatollah called for the murder of Salman Rushdie, people on the left and right of British politics and of British culture made excuses for the fatwa. I'm sure we'll hear some excuses today. They learned, our societies learned but if somebody says, I'm offended, and then says, and as a result, I'm going to kill, you better be damn sure that you're willing to die for that. And unfortunately, the success of the Ayatollah's fatwa, among other things, is that it showed a load of other disgruntled people what they could do if they only had the, had the disgustingness to think that they could exercise violence uh, uh, as an op opposition to the pen. And I'm afraid that what happened, as I say, is that Muslim extremists across the UK and across the world showed they could intimidate people, and others undoubtedly have learned from this. But let's remember, Britain in 1989, we allowed Muslims in Bradford to burn the Quran, to burn sorry, the satanic verses on the streets of Britain. We allowed prominent figures like Cat Stevens to excuse the murder of Salman Rushdie on the television. We allowed Iranian officials who had called for Rushdie's murder to live in London. Like, how stupid are we? Interesting, Douglas. Thank you for now, New York. Let's pick up now with journalist Martha Gill, uh, Emma Wedd from the Free Speech Union, co-founder of the Muslim Debate Initiative, Abdullah Al-Andalusi. Uh, let's start with you, if we can, Abdullah. Um, quite a strong rhetoric from Douglas Murray. Um, I'm always aware that Muslim extremists do not in any way speak for the majority of Muslims. But to be fair, the Iranian government over the weekend said Rushdie was to blame for being attacked. That is completely and utterly despicable, isn't it? Well, firstly, um, I find it rather uh, strange that Douglas Murray, who's had a history of advocating for restrictions on Muslim speakers at universities... He, but that you he can deemed... answer my question. Do know, you think know, it's despicable that, that the Iranian if, government if, if, have said that, that he took it on himself? He was I, stabbed in broad daylight. Do I you know, find if that I, despicable? It, but if I may, um, he, he deigns to say he's a champion for free speech, so to speak, but yet he, his organisation argued for restrictions on, uh, for platforms for Muslim speakers going to <sighs> universities... He wanted to ban the burqa in public buildings and, you, and a kind of social ban on it in public. Um, so you for him, and, and, and argued that, Muslim, uh, hold on, that hold conditions on. for Muslims in Europe must be made harder across the board. Let, let's bring Douglas back in. Douglas, that, Douglas, wait. I find it a little, I, I would, I find it a little bit we... strange that he should um, deign to call himself, um, brazenly call himself, some, or at least imply he's some kind of champion for free speech. 
the free expression. Look, I've probably got to answer that. You'll have noticed, and all of your viewers will have noticed, that this Islamist lunatic in your studio can't answer the basic question. Let's try it again and make it simple for you. Why no. don't you say whether or not you are completely condemning of any violence against Salman Rushdie or anyone else who is deemed to have said something heretical? Why don't we start with the basics for you? Okay, firstly, I want to answer his question, because he asked me first, which is about the Iranian regime. Well, have, having not being an Iranian citizen nor participated in any elections to elect the Iranian regime, the Iranian regime doesn't really represent 1.8 billion Muslims. And okay, so if you're here representing 1.8 billion Muslims, um, it's very simple. Douglas um, has just said it. Do I'm you... do anyone. Do, um, all right, as your own self, having heard what he said, yeah. do you accept people saying, be it the Iranian government or Muslim extremists, and I made the caveat and I repeat it, Muslim extremists, that one of the biggest problems I have is that people look at the whole thing and they shouldn't. Do you agree with anybody who comes up with the sentence... He was to blame for being knifed in broad daylight 15 times in his neck. Do you? The only person to blame for the knifing of uh, Salman Rushdie is the, um, the assailant himself. Not the, not the Iranian regime who put the fatwa on him in the first place. Well, unless you can, unless you can demonstrate that they were specifically colluding or they sent an agent... They to said he was so, to blame. They... He was in communication with the Iranian and that, and, and that's And that's their opinion, right? But I'm only here to talk about... If you're asking me... Who is to blame? I say the assailant, much like Douglas Murray said that the Christchurch killer, the one who massacred the, the Muslims in the mosque, you are. The, only the killer was to blame, not those who radicalised him into viewing no, Muslims as a threat to the West. Is, what you'll find is that if somebody put millions of dollars on someone's head, yours, for instance, or mine, and somebody then attacked us, you would think that the person who'd put millions of dollars on our head would bear some responsibility. Yep. But because you're such a dishonest weasel, you're not even willing to do that. You're not even willing to do the basic thing of condemning the attack. Sticks and stones, Douglas Murray, sticks and stones. You need to demonstrate that the person, the person was motivated avoiding... by the reward. I'll tell you what I'd like to motivate. I'll tell you what I'd like to demonstrate. This is my programme. Martha Gill, journalist, what's your opinion on this situation? Well, it's, it's completely horrific. I, I completely agree um, uh, with the other two, with Douglas Murray, um, in that uh, if putting a bounty on someone's head in the first place is an act of violence, uh, whether or not that's followed up by people taking, taking on the challenge, and clearly uh, somebody has, and they are entirely to blame for that. Let's move on to... Um, I wanted to ask you generally, yeah. you've been quite open about free speech. When does free speech cross a line, Martha? So every society has, every functioning society has to have some limits on free speech. If you agree with any law on hate speech, then you agree on limits uh, to free speech in society. Um, you know, if you, if you say, actually, it's fine to say anything, you quickly run up against a paradox, which is that you say it's fine to somebody to go on TV and call for the death of somebody else for an expressing a view. So their freedom of speech is immediately restricting uh, the freedom of speech of others. So you do need some limits on free speech in a free society. Now, of course, we can argue where you draw the line. I was going to say, Emma, would you say we've gone too far? In restricting free speech? Yeah. I think absolutely we have. I, I agree with Douglas that I think that short of incitement, those things that are illegal under the law, incitement being things like, for example, putting a fatwa out on somebody, that would count as incitement in my book because it's actively calling for violence against someone. Um, 
and in this case for something that someone has written. D does but incitement compel people to actually be, be violent, though? Well, hold on a second. Does it, in, does it incite them? It encourages I... them. If, 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 so you it... are through a, if you are through a group or a clan or whatever you want to say, and I'm treading carefully for obvious reasons, if you feel that you're following... Uh, a, a group, uh, whatever it is, and they're telling you to do something. You go, you're, you're sitting there saying that that bloke wasn't. I mean, isn't that a lot my of free will, though? Isn't isn't the, the whole basis of the Western system based on people's free? Do you believe that man would have gone and stabbed Salman Rushdie unless he had been encouraged, incentivized, galvanized, whatever words you want from people, the Iranian government, who say? Salman Rushdie is to blame on putting a fatwa on his head. That's, that's well, wrong, isn't I'm it? I'm simply saying that, unlike knee-jerk dog-whistle politics we hear from Douglas Murray, um, we, why, don't, why don't we wait to the court case to see what motivated the individual? I'm waiting for the evidence. I'm waiting to, like, what does he say why, motivated why him? If he why said it was motivated by the Iranian with... government fatwa, fine, I accept Do you not why think he might have been? I guess is the yeah, question. Yeah, he might have been, right. yes. yes. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to finish my point. Yeah, because, go. So we have in this country a teacher who is still in hiding, the, bat, the teacher from Batley Grammar School, because he showed a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad to his class. He's still in hiding with his young family. That is in this country now. I think that what we have done as a result of uh, everything that happened with Salman Rushdie in the intervening 33 years, I think that we have internalised this, this attitude of censorship so that now if somebody wanted to write a book like Salman Rushdie's book, there no no publisher would touch them because they would know what the implications would be for that person because we've internalised the we've internalised Sharia law on this we've internalised in in many ways we've internalised the censorship of radical ideological this is, groups. I don't, Sharia law. Can, I don't think you can compare a, 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 a illiberal regime such as the one in Iran to the one here. What, That's the, not the, what I was doing. But. No, 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 of course, but you can't really compare the, the types of restriction on free speech. We have some restrictions laid down in law. They have, some, they have a huge number of restrictions enforced by their government and ruling groups. The way that free speech gets restricted here is more by a process of consensus and debate, like the debate we're having here, mm -hmm. on where lines should be drawn. It's often done with individuals. You can pretty much say anything you like if you find the right audience for it. I would love to sit here all night. I literally am being okay. shouted at <laughs> in my ear. I, we could continue this. Uh, to all of you, Abdullah, thank you so much indeed. Uh, Douglas Murray from New York, Martha Gill, uh, and, and obviously Emma Webb. Everybody has an opinion. Um, somebody said to me today, the attacker of Salman Rushdie, like millions of others worldwide, almost certainly had absolutely no knowledge of the Satanic Verses, a book that came out 33 years ago. So one would have to wonder, is he just an evil person or is he motivated? What are your thoughts? It's important. At the end of the day, everybody will have their own opinion. Don't go anywhere. Next on Uncensored, the big news. Sir Keir Starmer is back. The opposition leader has risen from his sun lounger, put down his paperback, not the Satanic Verses, and finally broken his silence on the cost of living crisis. The big question, should our non-existent government, who we haven't seen, listen We'll get the lowdown from my experts. It's coming next. We're coming right back in three. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, my friends. Now, we've given Sakir Starmer a hard time recently for holidaying in a national crisis. But like a British train, my friends, he's arrived late and lacking power. But he does at least have a plan. And in the absence of anything much from the British government, we thought we'd have a look at it. Let's cut it down. Labour says it will 
freeze the current price energy price cap, which is 1,971 quid, and they believe that could rise to £4,000 by January, so they're going to freeze it at that, 1,971 quid. It'll pay for that, Labour says, by backdating the windfall tax on oil and gas companies to January, which will raise £8 billion. Quite useful. They'll also then cancel the planned 400 quid rebate before you go... <gasps> on energy bills, that'll save 14 million, which it also reckons will reduce inflation, saving another 7 billion on government debt. Now, here's the interesting thing, because we have been moaning at Starmer and the opposition to come up with something good, because we're waiting for the Tories to choose a new leader, and the Tories are waiting for that new leader to tell them what the hell's going on. Today, the Times reports that 75% of grassroots Conservatives black even back at Sakir's plan. So here he is, the man with the tan, explaining it in his own words. Have a look. Our proposal, which is to prevent those energy prices going, uh, increases going forward, will also dampen inflation and therefore the money that would otherwise be paid on our debt, because inflation is so high, would not have to be paid. Joining me now is our financial expert Gemma Godfrey and debt expert Salim Shafi from Money Advice Service, Money Buddies. Welcome both. Um, we have been saying for a long time, where are you? And when you look at Labour's plan, um, what do you think? Because a host of Tories are going, that's a good idea. Well, the big problem with, obviously, the increasing energy prices is that it's a humanitarian crisis. Mm. It's going to amount to people spending, on average, two months' salary to cover their one month's energy bill. It's completely untenable. So on the one hand, freezing it, you know, that makes sense in terms of trying to lessen the burden. But the big problem is some of the assumptions they're making that this is going to reduce inflation. And that not, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. And also it's a short term solution. It's like putting a plaster on something. But ultimately what it doesn't solve is the fact that 30 energy suppliers went bust mm -hmm. since the beginning of um, 2021. And, you know, what are they going to be able to do long term to make us more energy independent? I think, Celine, welcome to the show. I think the message, and I, and I absolutely agree with you, Gemma, but the one thing that we have been calling out for as a nation is for somebody to stand up from the British government and say we're going to do something. And we've talked about, you know, short-term measures, you know, the green levy, VAT on fuel. This might be a sticking plaster, but actually politically, the people of this country are hearing Starmer and the opposition saying something that they think they can at least think about. And the government's doing nothing, it seems, right? Absolutely. This is something that relates to people's mindsets at the moment. Yeah. We're in a national crisis Lives are going to be lost this winter. If we were at war, what would we, what would we be saying? Raise the money. So this is a really strong measure to actually help people feel safe about themselves. If you feel safe about your energy costs going into the winter, you're more likely to start thinking about maybe perhaps spending some money through the next few months, and that will actually help keep the economy going. But getting people into the mentality of saving and hoarding their money, when you get into that, then... Where's the investment? Where do people then start to look forward? We had this kind of thing in 2008 when the corporates themselves nearly doubled their cash reserves simply because they were worried about the future. This is now happening to the nation. Unless we can kind of get out of this mentality of hoarding money now and, 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 and help people feel safe about spending the money, we're going to be in a situation where the economy suffers even more. I completely agree. And... and... I've talked politically, Gemma, that, that I, I feel like Starmer's has stolen a march, which I didn't think I'd ever say. But let's talk about debt. Um, last week, we talked about the housing market. We talked about rentals and we talked about how difficult it is for people. And, and one of the annoying things for me about politicians, I'm not sure they quite get it. The words are fine, but people are suffering. And I think Salim's absolutely right. 
I heard that guy say to me last week, oh, we should all be aiming towards getting a mortgage. What would you say to the people watching this right now who are seriously in debt? Forget that they can't pay their energy bills. Forget that they will not be able to heat their homes or feed their kids. They're in debt already. It's like they're sinking. Do we have a message? Do we have constructive help for them? Because that, for me, is what should be happening now. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest problems we have is the interest that's charged on debt. Because yep. it's not just the amount that's owed. It gets bigger and bigger because the interest is a percentage of what is owed and it can just skyrocket. And actually, people can find it very hard to get out of. And I think, you know, look, there are lots of different things that people can do. And I absolutely think they should be going to advice um, centres to try and get some impartial advice. But I think what's really important is to be able to speak up and try and ask for help. So, for example, if there's problems with energy bills, utility providers can actually provide a holiday uh, and allow true. people more time, more time to pay reduce their payments, because it's not in the energy company's interest either that people just stop paying either. Same thing with banks. What's quite, in, um, quite easy to do is fall into an unarranged overdraft mm -hmm. and, again, get whacked with fees, and that makes things worse. But calling them up and trying to get an arranged overdraft, again, it's not a long-term solution, but it could stop them slipping. But people that are already in debt, prioritising it, focusing on the higher interest debt, not getting swayed into consolidating it, and it may reduce the interest slightly, which is good short-term, but if you're paying for longer, again, that could increase the amount as well. So I think really going out and, and trying trying to speak up and trying to get some support for each, each individual's personal circumstance is going to be very important because it can seem overwhelming and affect I, people's mental health. I think that's the point, isn't it, Salim, that, that a lot of people watching this will feel they're in such a, a rut that they cannot see any way out. They're working. I always talk about the jams. I talk about it every week, just about managing. Yeah. I have great sympathy for people on benefit. I don't have any sympathy for rich people who get the, the energy cap. What I'm talking about is those people who are, you know, the mother and the father both work, right? They've got two kids, probably. I'm not painting a picture, but they're paying everything out and they've got nothing. And they're really, really suffering. And the message, I think Gemma makes a great point about mental health. This is dragging this nation down, isn't it? It is. Well, just on the mental health thing, if you have stress for 20 minutes or more, just around 20 minutes, you start to damage brain structures inside yourself, which are really about connecting with people, connecting with yourself, being able to express your issues and problems. So alleviating and putting this price cap, capping the price cap this next few months will actually alleviate stress on so many people. In terms of debt, we had the just about managing two years ago. It's just about surviving. Yeah. We're seeing clients now who haven't eaten for a number of days. That's only going to get worse. Can I just stop there? Because people say, oh, you do this every night, Carly. Yeah, I do, because that, that is not just a soundbite. People will not be eating. People, I mean, we had somebody on from a, uh, a, a, one of those uh, food banks the other day and he said, I had a, a middle-class family, mm. in effect, haven't yeah, eaten for yeah. four days. It's not just homeless people, for God's sake. There are people all over the place going, I cannot afford this. Had yeah. a friend, a relevant story, but just take it for what it is. Had a mate today who went to buy his daughter her first second-hand car. The APR had gone from 5.9% to 22.5%. Mm. Everybody mm. is struggling and making money and financial organisations will take advantage Advantage, won't they? Absolutely. And I think what we're talking here is about essential items. This isn't somebody in, uh, buying a luxury item and having to cut back. This is people deciding. Again, I get, I get asked this all, yep. all... The big question I've been asked at the moment is, shall I stay at home and then save on my petrol or shall I go to the office to save on my energy bills? I mean, that is what people, the decisions people are making. Just imagine that. What would you say about debt? Uh, I liked what you said about debt advice companies. Are they, in the past, have they been frowned upon? You say they care and they can help, yes, right? Yes, they are. This is a caring sector. It's a non-judgmental sector. They're in the roles, they do these roles, because they care about people. And one thing about seeing a, a debt advice agency like ourselves, and there are many others in the UK too, is that 
We protect clients from the behaviours of creditors. Yeah. And when we speak to creditors, they they change their tone with us and helps keep... We're like an invisible force field for clients. And this can make people feel much safer about themselves, much more relaxed, and again, be able to get on with their life. When you are, when you are in debt, spiralling out of debt and out of control and debt and there's bills coming in, you can't see any clarity to your problem. No. What debt advice agencies will do is, is clear the minutiae out of your Absolutely. brain and give you a clear yeah. path. Would you yeah. advocate them as well? Absolutely, and I think there's a really clear distinction here between um, debt advice, impartial advice yeah. that's there to help, and then... Uh, people that the companies that are there to say, well, we're going to consolidate your loans. They're talking about a product. They're selling a product. You're right. There are scams. There are certain terms you have to look for. So that's that you should really pay a lot of attention to. But ultimately, free impartial debt advice that's run by a charity. You know that is there to be able to help. Somebody once told me a, a bank manager years ago told me that banks make money by lending people money. So your yeah. theory about going to a, a debt advice agency and you know I'm, I'm 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 wallowing in I don't know what to do. You taking it over. They want yeah. their money back, but they're also going to have to be realistic. It's like the utility companies. If everybody can't pay their bills, they yeah. won't have a business. Yeah. So people need to meet in the mail. Just both of you, um, the message to people watching this who are in debt. A positive message, a helpful message? What would you say, Jen? I, mean, I would say... I think just as Brits, we tend to get very easily embarrassed when we talk about money, but there is absolutely no shame. No. I mean, when it's not just at all levels of society, people are living off credit cards, you know, but really speaking up and trying to find a solution is going to be incredibly important before it spirals or to try and help get yourself out of it. There are people that want to help. Brilliant. Celine, to finish? Yeah, pe people shouldn't feel alone. You're not alone in this. There's many people in similar positions to themselves, and it's really about just picking up the phone, speak anonymously. A five-minute chat with a debt advisor, with a money buddy, can be the difference between sleeping and not sleeping. It can so be the right. difference in heating and not eating. And do you know what I think about this cost of living crisis? I think it's going to change people's behaviour. Yeah. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about opening up, people going and seeing a doctor or a psychologist or talking to somebody in debt or companies. We are going to have to learn to probably be a little less British and a, bit, a little less stiff yes. upper lip and open up because the message is everybody's in the same boat, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gemma Godfrey, Salim, uh, thank you so much indeed for coming on the show tonight. Right next on Uncensored, the most capped England football player ever. We could use one of those caps on the price of butter, couldn't we? Did you like that? England legend Peter Shilton on his lifelong struggle with gambling addiction, a subject close to my heart. We're coming back in three. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back, my friends. Now, we've given Sakir Starmer a hard time recently for holidaying in a national crisis. But like a British train, my friends, he's arrived late and lacking power. But he does 
at least have a plan. And in the absence of anything much from the British government, we thought we'd have a look at it. Let's cut it down. Labour says it will freeze the current price energy price cap, which is 1,971 quid, and they believe that could rise to £4,000 by January, so they're going to freeze it at that, 1,971 quid. It'll pay for that, Labour says, by backdating the windfall tax on oil and gas companies to January, which will raise £8 billion. Quite useful. They'll also then cancel the planned 400 quid rebate before you go... <gasps> on energy bills, that'll save 14 million, which it also reckons will reduce inflation, saving another 7 billion on government debt. Now, here's the interesting thing, because we have been moaning at Starmer and the opposition to come up with something good, because we're waiting for the Tories to choose a new leader, and the Tories are waiting for that new leader to tell them what the hell's going on. Today, the Times reports that 75% of grassroots Conservatives black even back at Sakir's plan. So here he is, the man with the tan, explaining it in his own words. Have a look. Our proposal, which is to prevent those energy prices going, uh, increases going forward, will also dampen inflation and therefore the money that would otherwise be paid on our debt, because inflation is so high, would not have to be paid. Joining me now is our financial expert Gemma Godfrey and debt expert Salim Shafi from Money Advice Service, Money Buddies. Welcome both. Um, we have been saying for a long time, where are you? And when you look at Labour's plan, um, what do you think? Because a host of Tories are going, that's a good idea. Well, the big problem with, obviously, the increasing energy prices is that it's a humanitarian crisis. Mm. It's going to amount to people spending, on average, two months' salary to cover their one month's energy bill. It's completely untenable. So on the one hand, freezing it, you know, that makes sense in terms of trying to lessen the burden. But the big problem is some of the assumptions they're making that this is going to reduce inflation. And that not, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen. And also it's a short term solution. It's like putting a plaster on something. But ultimately what it doesn't solve is the fact that 30 energy suppliers went bust since the beginning of um, 2021. And, you know, what are they going to be able to do long term to make us more energy independent? I think, Celine, welcome to the show. I think the message, and I, and I absolutely agree with you, Gemma, but the one thing that we have been calling out for as a nation is for somebody to stand up from the British government and say we're going to do something. And we've talked about, you know, short-term measures, you know, the green levy, VAT on fuel. This might be a sticking plaster, but actually, politically, the people of this country are hearing Starmer and the opposition saying something that they think they can at least think about. And the government's doing nothing, it seems, right? Absolutely. This is something that relates to people's mindsets at the moment. Yeah. We're in a national crisis Lives are going to be lost this winter. If we were at war, what would, we, what would we be saying? Raise the money. So this is a really strong measure to actually help people feel safe about themselves. If you feel safe about your energy costs going into the winter, you're more likely to start thinking about maybe perhaps spending some money through the next few months, and that will actually help keep the economy going. But getting people into the mentality of saving and hoarding their money, when you get into that, then... Where's the investment? Where do people then start to look forward? We had this kind of thing in 2008 when the corporates themselves nearly doubled their cash reserves simply because they were worried about the future. This is now happening to the nation. Unless we can kind of get out of this mentality of hoarding money now and, 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 and help people feel safe about spending the money, we're going to be in a situation where the economy suffers even more. I completely agree. And... and... I've talked politically, Gemma, that, that I, I feel like Starmer's stolen a march, which I didn't think I'd ever say. But let's talk about debt. Um, last week, we talked about the housing market. We talked about rentals and we talked about how difficult it is for people. And, and one of the annoying things for me about politicians, I'm not sure they quite get it. 
The words are fine, but people are suffering, and I think Salim's absolutely right. Hey, I heard that guy say to me last week, oh, we should all be aiming towards getting a mortgage. What would you say to the people watching this right now who are seriously in debt? Forget that they can't pay their energy bills. Forget that they will not be able to heat their homes or feed their kids. They're in debt already. It's like they're sinking. Do we have a message? Do we have constructive help for them? Because that, for me, is what should be happening now. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest problems we have is the interest that's charged on debt. Because yep. it's not just the amount that's owed. It gets bigger and bigger because the interest is a percentage of what is owed and it can just skyrocket. And actually, people can find it very hard to get out of. And I think, you know, look, there are lots of different things that people can do. And I absolutely think they should be going to advice um, centres to try and get some impartial advice. But I think what's really important is to be able to speak up and try and ask for help. So, for example, if there's problems with energy bills, utility providers can actually provide a holiday uh, and allow true. people more time, more time to pay reduce their payments, because it's not in the energy company's interest either that people just stop paying either. Same thing with banks. What's quite, in, um, quite easy to do is fall into an unarranged overdraft mm -hmm. and, again, get whacked with fees, and that makes things worse. But calling them up and trying to get an arranged overdraft, again, it's not a long-term solution, but it could stop them slipping. But people that are already in debt, prioritising it, focusing on the higher interest debt, not getting swayed into consolidating it, and it may reduce the interest slightly, which is good short-term, but if you're paying for longer, again, that could increase the amount as well. So I think really going out and, and trying trying to speak up and trying to get some support for each, each individual's personal circumstance is going to be very important because it can seem overwhelming and affect I, people's mental health. I think that's the point, isn't it, Salim, that there are a lot of people watching this will feel they're in such a, a rut that they cannot see any way out. They're working. I always talk about the jams. I talk about it every week, just about managing. Yeah. I have great sympathy for people on benefit. I don't have any sympathy for rich people who get the, the energy cap. What I'm talking about is those people who are, you know, the mother and the father both work, right? They've got two kids, probably. I'm not painting a picture, but they're paying everything out and they've got nothing. And they're really, really suffering. And the message... I think Gemma makes a great point about mental health. This is dragging this nation down, isn't it? It is. Well, just on the mental health thing, if you have stress for 20 minutes or more, just around 20 minutes, you start to damage brain structures inside yourself, which are really about connecting with people, connecting with yourself, being able to express your issues and problems. So alleviating and putting this price cap, capping the price cap, this next few months will actually alleviate stress on so many people. In terms of debt, we had the just about managing two years ago. It's just about surviving. Yeah. We're seeing clients now who haven't eaten for a number of days. That's only going to get worse. Can I just stop there? Because people say, oh, you do this every night, Carly. Yeah, I do, because that, that is not just a soundbite. People will not be eating. People, I mean, we had somebody on from a, uh, a, a, one of those uh, food banks the other day and he said, I had a, a middle-class family, mm. in effect, haven't yeah, eaten for yeah. four days. It's not just homeless people, for God's sake. There are people all over the place going, I cannot afford this. Had yeah. a friend, a relevant story, but just take it for what it is. Had a mate today who went to buy his daughter her first second-hand car. The APR had gone from 5.9% to 22.5%. Mm. Everybody mm. is struggling and making money and financial organisations will take advantage won't they? Absolutely. And I think what we're talking here is about essential items. This isn't somebody in, uh, buying a luxury item and having to cut back. This is people deciding. Again, I get, I get asked this all, yep. all at... The big question I've been asked at the moment is, shall I stay at home and then save on my petrol or shall I go to the office to save on my energy bills? I mean, that is what people, the decisions people are making. Just imagine that. What would you say about debt? Uh, I liked what you said about debt advice companies. Are they, in the past, have they been frowned upon? You say they care and they can help, yes, right? Yes, they are. This is a caring sector. It's a non-judgmental sector. They're in the roles, they do these roles, because they care about people. And one thing about seeing a, a debt advice agency like ourselves, and there are many others in the UK too, is that 
We protect clients from the behaviours of creditors. Yeah. And when we speak to creditors, they they change their tone with us and helps keep... We're like an invisible force field for clients. And this can make people feel much safer about themselves, much more relaxed, and, again, be able to get on with their life. When you are, when you are in debt, spiralling out of debt and out of control and debt and there's bills coming in, you can't see any clarity to your problem. No. What debt advice agencies will do is, is clear the minutiae out of your Absolutely. brain and give you a clear yeah. path. Would yeah. you advocate them as well? Absolutely, and I think there's a really clear distinction here between um, debt advice, impartial advice yep. that's there to help, and then... Uh, people that the companies that are there to say, well, we're going to consolidate your loans. They're talking about a product. They're selling a product. You're right. There are scams. There are certain terms you have to look for. So that's that you should really pay a lot of attention to. But ultimately, free impartial debt advice that's run by a charity. You know that is there to be able to help. Somebody once told me a bank manager years ago told me that banks make money by lending people money. So your yeah. theory about going to a, a debt advice agency and you know I'm, I'm I'm wallowing in I don't know what to do. You taking it over. They want yeah. their money back, but they're also going to have to be realistic. It's like the utility companies. If everybody can't pay their bills, they yeah. won't have a business. Yeah. So people need to meet in the mail. Just both of you, um, the message to people watching this who are in debt. A positive message, a helpful message? What would you say, Jen? I, mean, I would say... I think just as Brits, we tend to get very easily embarrassed when we talk about money, but there is absolutely no shame. No. I mean, when it's not just at all levels of society, people are living off credit cards, you know, but really speaking up and trying to find a solution is going to be incredibly important before it spirals or to try and help get yourself out of it. There are people that want to help. Brilliant. Celine, to yeah, pe People shouldn't feel alone. You're not alone in this. There's many people in similar positions to themselves, and it's really about just picking up the phone, speak anonymously. A five-minute chat with a debt advisor, with a money buddy, can be the difference between sleeping and not sleeping. It can so be the right. difference in heating and not eating. And do you know what I think about this cost of living crisis? I think it's going to change people's behaviour. Yeah. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about opening up, people going and seeing a doctor or a psychologist or talking to somebody in debt or companies. We are going to have to learn to probably be a little less British and a, bit, a little less stiff yeah. upper lip and open up because the message is everybody's in the same boat, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gemma Godfrey, Salim, uh, thank you so much indeed for coming on the show tonight. Right next on Uncensored, the most capped England football player ever. We could use one of those caps on the price of butter, couldn't we? Did you like that? England legend Peter Shilton on his lifelong struggle with gambling addiction, a subject close to my heart. We're coming back in three. Welcome back, my friends. Time for Jez's Journals. I'm joined by Talk TV's legend Mike Graham and political correspondent Ava Santino. They've become... To... You are a duo. Welcome. We are. we are officially now because this is the second time you've had us on. Let... It is, yes. And, and the last start... time we were, it was quite successful, wasn't it? Well, it was, actually. Yeah. Your host pipe thing's gone viral. Gone and well. Ava, I'm going to start with you. Football is a man's game, said Graham Sinus. He seems to have rode back a little bit tonight. Probably Sky Sports have... Uh, um... But he wasn't being... He wasn't meaning it like that. He was just saying it was a matter... Two, you know, two teams of men were playing football. Do you not agree? He was being willfully ignorant. That's a bit harsh. I think he was describing the game. He wasn't describing women's football versus men's football. He simply saw a game which we all saw, which we all got very excited about because we like a bit of a punch-up. You don't want to see the women's coaches fighting each other, no, do you? No. But you do want to see the men's coaches pushing and shoving each other a bit. It's great fun. You do, but it, the point was he was describing the behaviour, the abhorrent behaviour of those two managers, and he was suggesting that male violence is exciting and enjoyable. It is. And de facto is more exciting and enjoyable than the women's football. Yes. And that is just that is a comment so outdated 
appreciated and just shows well, that gendered language but how is, he not is so to, needed still in football. But how is he not allowed to enjoy men's football if that's what he likes? Why he, can't he enjoy it more than women's football if can, that's but, his opinion? But why do you have to talk about football as if it's two different sports, the male and the female game? Like, it's one sport and two sides yes. of it. He's, like, so when, totally segregating so both when sides the, of the... When the Lionesses won the women's Euros, it was called the women's Euros. And, and everyone was talking about how shame. great women's football was. And it was... But we can't say men's football is also great? No, but it was brilliant because women were not allowed to play football for so long. Yeah. I mean, women, well, for, for yeah, one, for in schools, one, for one, in schools at 11, I wasn't allowed to play football any longer. And hopefully the women, you know, you taking that title, I am very the good Outside at left? I'm very Possibly. good at it. I reckon outside I could, left. Uh, yeah. I was well, a goalie, I was in goal. So. I was making a political joke, Jane. Uh, James? James, sorry. <laughs> uh, my name's James. Welcome <laughs> to Piers Morgan Uncensored <laughs> with David Graham. Brilliant. James, that went really well. <laughs> Uh, Afghanistan, the, the Taliban are subjecting women. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff on this, isn't there? I think, I think it's our greatest shame, actually, of the fallout from Afghanistan. I think it's absolutely despicable what this government has done in terms of getting people back here. There are people over there right now who work with the British Army as translators, as communicators, and they're still stuck there and they are dying. There was a man that I met in Calais just a couple of months ago. I met him on the side. He'd come over on a boat desperately trying to get to England. On the way over here, his wife was shot by the Taliban. And that is, that's the history that we've left there. We have to agree on that. The, 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 the withdrawal, disgusting, and we, I'm not going to get involved in an argument with anybody on this. Uh, but the Americans so left, left us with very little choice. The Americans, don't forget, left the Taliban billions and billions of quid's worth of equipment, you know, high-ranking high military equipment, which they've now got and they can do anything they like with. Uh, oh, we got, this, is, this is extraordinary. Look, watch Pretty Patel today. Extraordinary. Watch this. We should stand tall in terms of our collective effort by bringing over 21,000 people and also creating a new life for them in the United Kingdom. Um, and that speaks volumes to the great work, the tremendous partnerships that we have across government, the ways of working at a time of crisis. I have to say, uh, 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 Ava and I might not agree on most things, shameful, and she will not be the Home Secretary in four well, weeks' time. No, no, it's the anniversary of the Taliban. They're, they're terrible, terrible, I'm sorry. I'm just pleased to see she's still actually doing some work, because I haven't seen her since July. You know, she's not even doing any work, because when she's talking about these people we've brought 21,000 over, half of those people are in hotels, mm. at an immense cost to the taxpayer and an immense cost to those people's mental health. It's yeah. disgraceful. Uh, Boris Johnson today described as a fat ponce. Ava Santini says there's enough to criticise that lump of lard for without... That describing... is not what I I'm said! I'm joking. <laughs> uh, there's enough to criticise him for without discussing his weight. My God, I think my eyes nearly fell out of my head. <laughs> I know right. uh, Boris Johnson done a fine job, though, don't you think? Look, I, I no. mean, you know, he, he, I think the biggest criticism here is that he's on holiday. The last thing that he did before he went on holiday was he had a meeting with the big energy company, yeah. and he decided that what was happening was really shocking and awful for the British people, but he couldn't do anything about it, so he was going to go off to Greece. That doesn't make any sense. Let's bring in quickly Sir yeah. Keir Starmer's broken cover well, tonight, back with his Stone Island top, and, and they've come up with this plan, which 75% yeah. of Tory voters say, and for me, very quickly, David, it's about... Um, sorry, is that... Um, <laughs> they're actually talking, cos we're yeah. hearing nothing well, from no, the government. because that's the only plan they've seen. They haven't yeah. seen a plan from the Tories, so they see a plan from Keir Starmer. Uh, already, though, uh, it's been criticised as it will cost twice as much as he says it will cost. Mm. It'll actually cost 60 billion quid. And as far as Boris is concerned... Well, let him stay on holiday. What's the point of him even having a job anymore? He's out of a job, he's not the Prime Minister, he can't do anything. 
Let him have a long holiday, stay in Greece until October. But did right. he did he actually... I mean, I, I'm not sticking up for him because I'm scared of you a little bit. Um, did he want to stay on or did he... Did, well, is he that... would have rather stayed on, yeah. But, but I mean, what's the point? None of no, them are no there, point. the MPs. They're all on holiday, yeah. aren't they? Nothing... Yeah. I mean, my thing about Starmer is, at least, and I'm not saying it'll work, but at least he's there on a television screen saying to these people suffering in the country, well, do you know what? He... There is something. Well, no, he's but... in me, but he's in Mallorca last week. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And also, you know, back to his Keir's policy, that's not really a whole policy. It's about a tenth of a policy. It's very totally very quickly, pets. I know you're, a, you're into pets. Um, loads and lo Millions of people ha had pets during lockdown because they didn't get on with their partners, I suspect. That's a sweeping generalisation. Mm. And now, because of the cost of living, they're giving all these pets away. There's pets yeah. everywhere. Apparently, they're letting snakes and lizards just out in the street. So, I mean, when the, the torrents of rainwater... Well, it's start... raining cats and dogs yeah, out there. Yeah, it's raining cats and dogs. I see yeah. what you did there. Uh, yeah. But there's also going to be snakes. You know, there's going to be lizards. There's going to be terrapins all floating down the street because <laughs> people have just thrown them out into the street. It's disgraceful. Floating terrapins, says David Graham. Yeah. How exciting. Really spice up the cost of living crisis. Are you a it? pet fan? I, I mean, I'm not a massive pet fan. I live in London, so I'm not allowed to have one in my flat, am I? So... You're not allowed to? No, no, you're not allowed to. If you you're renting, most landlords hamster. don't let you. Have you got any pets? Yeah, I've got a dog. Have you? Ziggy, yeah. Ziggy. Of him, he's yeah. Ziggy, he's playing guitar. Uh, yeah, he's a Labrador. Uh, doesn't good. play guitar. Uh, doesn't he not? No. Uh, and my favourites, my favourites, Jezza's journos, are the legendary Mary Graham. What did you really call me, James? <laughs> Mike Graham back tomorrow morning, 10am on Talk TV. Uh, also, uh, Ava Santina, will you come back next week? I love you I'd both. love to, yeah. You, are you happy to come back I'd next week? I'd love to. Fantastic. Thank you both very much indeed. Uh, bear in mind, we started this by telling you it's absolutely hacking it down. And it is hacking it down all across the United Kingdom. Way, but don't worry, it's just going to roll off the earth and not work. That is it from me. Whatever you're up to tonight, Pierce made me absolutely promise to say this. Keep it uncensored. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. You ready for this? Ta-ra!